Hey, podcast listeners, this is Steve. Uh, today we're interviewing the town of Lake Park's town manager, John Diagostino. I got I to gotta confess up front, I had a lot of fun with this one because John and I uh, come from the same area of New York City, uh, a lot of references up there. But John has a great perspective. You know, he's in this small, economically challenged town of, uh, of, of Lake Park, and he used his experience. He spent many years up in Massachusetts, which John explains what a commonwealth is, which is, if you put it in perspective, we're kind of like a republic, right? We elect people and they go do their job. We do the occasional town hall meetings. But in Massachusetts, the communities, the municipalities, as it were, most decisions must be made by the plebiscite, and that requires a lot of town hall meetings, a lot of public engagement, a lot of community engagement. Well, he's taken those skills from working in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and is applying it in Archer, and they're making some changes that I would have thought would have not been possible. Also, John is like super duper good with implementable technologies. They have a thing in their community, it was a high crime area that they've installed that if somebody fires a weapon, they can immediately locate them and immediately dispatch law enforcement. It's a phenomenal thing. You got to hear about this. This is really cool for those of you who are struggling with crime issues or turning around a low economic area into a higher economic area with good development, good growth, sustainable jobs, etc. cetera. Uh, this is the interview for you with John Diagostino, episode number 136. Greetings, I'm Steve Van Cor, and this is the FCCMA podcast, a service produced by and for the Florida City and County Management Association. I'm your host. In each episode, we interview a city or a county leader who's in a position to share interesting and useful insights into the operations of local government uh, here in the Sunshine State. Uh, today, uh, my guest is John Diagostino from the town of Lake Park. And if John and I kind of start to sound a little bit like we're from Brooklyn, you'll understand because John was born in Brooklyn. I was born in Queens. We might start talking like that. You know what I'm talking about? Hey, John, thanks for being on the show. I appreciate well, thank it. Thank you for having me. I appreciate uh, it. We, 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 we just burned up a half hour just BSing. That's right. <laughs> Catching we did. up. Uh, you went to school in Syracuse. I went to school, I'd like to say up the road, but it was about 300 miles away in Potsdam. Yeah. And uh, they're closing down my school. They're not closing down yours. No, no. <laughs> um, so tell us, uh, so I want to start with, you, you spent a lot of time as a city manager working in local government in Massachusetts. That's correct. Uh, how'd you get there, first of all? Well, um, I went to Syracuse, graduated um, with a, a degree in political science, um, a liberal arts and political science degree. Uh, spent a lot of time at the Maxwell School of Citizenship. Um, in 1990, I went back and I received uh, two other degrees, a master's degree in um, human resource development. Did you get them simultaneously? No, no, oh, one, one, one after another, okay. yeah. And the second degree was in uh, public administration from the University of Hartford. Um, and I had spent 13 years working for the city of Springfield. And in my latter uh, experience with Springfield, I served as a police commissioner for the city of Springfield, appointed by the mayor, Mayor Robert Markle at that time. And um, I had f 
never done anything else in my career other than public service. I've got about 40 years of service um, in public sector uh, service. I started 1980 in um, the State House in Boston, worked for a, um, cons a consumer advocate by the name of Senator Alan Sisiski, an extremely brilliant individual who really gave me the sense of what public service was all about. And it was really about other people. Did you ever meet a guy named Bill Golden? He was a senator? Absolutely. I knew Bill Golden very well. And yeah. um, there, there were th at that time, there were a number of old uh, Stallworth type uh, public servants who really practice the art of serving so, the so public. So this was not part of the, the script here, but I, I got to divert on Bill Golden because Bill Golden, he actually came and spoke to the League of Cities. Mm -hmm. uh, he talked about public investment in, in, in the environment as an economic driver, mm -hmm. and he lived near Boston Harbor. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the time... Remember back in the 80s, the solution to pollution was dilution. Mm -hmm. So we were dumping effluent from all the sewers and stuff into Boston Harbor. Mm -hmm. Boston Harbor stunk. It smelled. It was had stuff washing up, uh, algae outbreak breaks and everything. They invested uh, something like $3 billion to get everybody on wastewater treatment. Mm -hmm. And as a direct result of that, he estimated last economic analysis was something like $2 trillion in economic investment Absolutely. along the Boston Harbor. Absolutely. The irony is he did it in part because he was, he believed in cleaning up the environment. He also believed that this would help, you know, allow people to live closer together, have cleaner worlds they live in about sustainability. And his dream was to live on Boston Harbor. Was well, a direct result of cleaning up the harbor, he could no longer t afford to live to there. live there. Absolutely. <laughs> but ironically, yeah. he he went out and bought a light ship, which is one of those mobile uh, lighthouses, mm -hmm. and renovated it and parked it in the harbor and lived there for ten years. <laughs> he was so, he was an incredible guy. Yeah, he's he, a really he was, interesting oh, fellow. Man, he he w really was, and I I've known him, I knew him at the time, and uh, Alan Sisiski and him were were great friends. And, and really, uh, really made some a big, big difference. Now, Boston is now one of the greatest cities to go visit. Oh, it's, really it's, no it's unbelievable. It, yeah. It's unbelievable. If the I, ironically, Portland did the same thing. They cleaned up their harbor, got rid of the sardine manufacturing, and now Portland is home to all these big corporations, and it's a beautiful city because mm -hmm. they cleaned up their area. Good for economic development. Yeah. There's a theme here. And we did some of that. We're doing some of that right now in um, a Lake Park as well is, is with, with runoff and... Um, and uh, we have a master plan for you got drainage. some interesting challenges there, but let's. Yeah. I want to finish because I want to. I want to get into that, okay? Mm -hmm. But let's talk about. Give me some. So you know, if a fish lives in a pond, you learn only about the pond. But you mm -hmm. go move to a different pond. Now you have context and you can see things from a different vantage point. What are some of your thoughts about the differences when what you learned about? You know what you're doing today in Archer. I'm um, not Archer. I'm sorry, Lake Park. Lake Park. Uh, in Palm Beach County uh, that you learned from Massachusetts? And what are some of the differences and observations there? Well, remember that um, the first part, uh, part of democracy really started in, in New England, in that whole area where, they, where the pilgrims had settled. And their thought at that time was, you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Right. So they created a government in Massachusetts, which is a commonwealth of Massachusetts. There's only five commonwealths in the entire country. And um, what define that for me? A commonwealth is um, 
just what I have been telling you, it's, it's you, you're in charge of your own destiny. You have your own school system. You have your own elected body. You have your own, so services were duplicated by each individual community. You had your own health department. You had all of your, um, the school system. I mean, it sounds like separate. home rule on steroids. It's home rule beyond steroids. It's, it's, and you cannot diminish it like they have done a little bit down here in, in Florida. Yeah, we put they, home rule into our constitution, then promptly right. ignore it. And, right, exactly. And um, you can't ignore it there because it is what created the structure of government that New England has right now, and particularly Massachusetts. So we, the people vote on the budget. We have town meeting in, 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 um, in Massachusetts. And you have to convince people that when I'm buying an F-150 truck, I'm not buying uh, an F-150 truck, I'm buying an F-350 because I need that th F-350 to do the snow plowing on the streets. And people get up and say, you know what, I've had an, an F-150 for 15 years. I don't understand why you need a 350 when you can get away with a 150 and it's cheaper to begin with. The school budget is passed the same way. The municipal budget is passed through a vote of the people who show up at town meeting. And do you have a lot of a, uh, a lot of participation in that? Oh, huge, uh, a huge participation. Um, people want to be involved in their government because they know that they have a voice. So it's a so stronger voice versus. So you would you would put Commonwealth versus Republic? That's correct. Okay, okay. that's correct. Although. Um, we still are a republic because a we elect, republic. Okay. They elect, they elect the uh, selectmen, the same thing as commissioners that you would have down here. They're called selectmen? They're called selectmen. And, they're in, and from that body... What does the woke crowd think of selectmen? <laughs> well... <laughs> <laughs> go, go on. So keep going. They're now called select persons or select people. Select. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, it, um, uh, it's a different flavor. But it, it requires me to be able to sell a point of view of why things are needed in a particular community. And they relate to that because everyone lives in that community. So and they feel more of a sense of ownership. Absolutely. Uh, and, and, you know, it's a really interesting observation because what, what's breaking down, you know, the vision of social media was to unite us. Mm. The reality of social media is that it divides us. You know, we all create our own silos. Right. And I wonder, these town hall meetings, very old school, but it sounds like it's the kind of thing that brings people together. So I get to hear my neighbors say, let's just use the F-150, mm -hmm. F-150 versus F-350. I could stand up and say, well, well, I've had an F-150, and it's not capable when the snow gets above three feet of pushing a snow plow. So I'm, I'm going to say with the 350, and that creates a, a, if you're side by side in the same room, that creates a sense of cohesion. It does. Whereas on social media, the medium itself creates a sense of division. Well, you don't know what the heck you're talking about and blah, 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 blah. And people start fighting back and forth. And because they don't see each other, they're not across from each other. They're not engaged with each other. And is that still, you know, and I'm wondering, is that, I mean, it's been a while since you've been there mm -hmm. and social media pretty much took off when you left, mm -hmm. um, is it, have you talked to friends up there? Is it still a dynamic part of their government up there? Oh, absolutely. A absolutely. And I, um, I love you know, that, by the way. It, it, it is the purest form of democracy that you could have. 
because you have a voice. You show up, you vote on the budget, you determine what is good for the community, you even vote on changes to ordinances and bylaws and statutes that are developed at a local level. You know what's interesting? In Florida, as, as we open the show, you were born and raised in Brooklyn. I was born and raised in Queens, grew out on the island, traveled. We are such a melting pot mm. uh, from people from other cultures, other countries. You know, Broward County notoriously can answer the phones in 99 different languages. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that would work in Florida, a system like that in would work like in, in Florida. It, um, again, there's only five states that have a commonwealth yeah. that have I mean, those kinds of I mean, Massachusetts has this long arm. Mm -hmm. Like you said, they, you know, they came over, the pilgrims came over. So right. we've been there a long time. Right. And government there is a government that has been instituted in, in the 1600s. If you look at Florida and how it's developed, there's only one area, St. Augustine, that dates significantly back to a right. time when... You know, communities were developing, or states, uh, or states were developing. Up north, you know, we're celebrating three hundred and three hundred and fifty years, or two hundred and fifty years. And down here, Lake Park just celebrated its one hundredth um, uh, year in, in, in existence. So, there's a, a significant amount of difference from just when a community started, and so the. This community in, in Lake Park, for example, is 100 years old, and people are really proud of that. And I'm, I sit back and I go, well, I worked in Mansfield, Massachusetts, Appington, Massachusetts, Springfield, Massachusetts, and they all were uh, born uh, around the 1600s. Wow, that's remarkable. Yeah. That's remarkable. So as city manager, you know, we, we often talk about uh, different, different folks can talk about how to manage your council. And versus, or in addition to, how do you manage the public, right? We need the public outreach, et cetera, et cetera. But it's almost like if you're a city manager up there, it's almost like you have thousands of council members because you said they got to vote on your budget, any changes to the ordinances the public has to vote on. How is that different in terms of being a city manager? What, 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 is, what are some of the different challenges you have in doing that? The, the challenges are, you, you have constituency challenges, right? You've you got people calling, uh, looking for, you know, a pothole to be filled. They're looking for um, information on, um, on a particular issue that's, that's ongoing. Um, and, and that information is provided just like we would provide to folks down here today, for example. There's, there, there's an interested segment of a population that um, really wants to get involved, even down here. Uh, but John, I, I want to push back a little bit because there was a story, I think it was Palm Beach the other day, where a homeowners association, is a condo, which condos are run a lot like the Commonwealth the cities, mm -hmm. and somebody got shot. Uh, I'm involved in several associations, and it is contentious. They are angry, and it's they have to vote on their budget. They see the line items, and there's so much suspicion. And I think it, part of it, I feels like they don't have a fabric of togetherness. They have a fabric of disparateness, right? They come from different parts. They land in, whether it's Clearwater, Century Village, uh, or one of these big developments. And then there's a lot of anger and screaming and yelling. It doesn't sound like that's what your experience was in Massachusetts. There was a fair share of all of that going okay. on, as particularly at, at town meetings. Who were, uh, and it depends on the issue. So if the issue is contentious, you get a, a certain segment of people 
who are either in favor of that particular issue or against it. We're going to widen the, widen the road, and so the people who live in the neighborhood. And, and you know, a school placement, for example, um, not in my neighborhood, not in my backyard, yeah. the NIMBY approach. Right. Um, and those issues come. But I want it close. I want a school close to me, but I don't want it in my neighborhood. That's right. Uh, and, and I don't want traffic on my street, right? So all of those issues are what we face today, whether you're in Massachusetts or whether you're yeah. down here in Florida. The difference, though, when you get to a town meeting format is you're face-to-face -face with your neighbor, one who's in favor, the other who's against, and there is a, a, a level of reconciliation that occurs. I love that. Right? Between those divergent opinions. And it gets to the point where uh, it's a respectful, I agree to disagree, versus the keyboard warrior who is mad as he could be, or she could be, and just types out things on a keyboard that then goes out to the world um, and is very angry. Uh, it's linear communication versus verbal communication. I get to see your eyes. I get to... to hear your tone of voice. I get to... You are singing my song, man. Absolutely. Determine yeah. your level of sincerity. And people come together, like you had said earlier, they, and, 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 and they vote. And people convince each other. We don't do that. So anymore. I represent a large um, uh, development, and it's a, it's a condominium association. They have about 9,000 units, okay? Mm. And it's a really interesting thing. At the town hall meetings, at the budget meetings, very few people are there, but saying that dynamic plays out. You go back to Nextdoor app and read the stuff. You think the place was being burned down, that the, the condo managers were driving around in Bentleys and stuff. And we, we show them the budget, we show them the data, we show... It never appeases them on social media. In person, they do. So I guess the lesson there for town managers, city managers, it's try to do more of that. Mm -hmm. Have You know, it's hard to do those charrettes if you're putting in a new development. It's hard to do those charrettes. It's hard to do if you're doing a community meeting. But it sounds to me, John, like what you're saying is the long-term benefit of that community cohesion can help a community grow. And it's based on personal contact versus just watching a meeting on TV. Oh, yeah. You come down to the meeting, you engage um, with questions um, different than town hall because in town hall meeting, you can get up six or seven times and debate an issue. But the problem here is that in our form of government, you either come in, you get three minutes to talk, and you're heard, and that's yeah. the end of it. You don't know what's going to happen. Town meeting has to make that decision that night, and it can be continued. You can have three or four town meeting sessions before you actually pass a budget. You know, also, who would want to be elected to that job? <laughs> uh, but it sounds like the gap between the electeds and the people is not that wide. No. Not that wide. Really, no. really interesting. So let's talk about uh, your current job and some of the challenges, because... You are physically located in an area close to the water, close to a lot of money that should be, by all accounts, high-end real estate, high-end jobs. But you came into a town that is struggling economically. Tell me a little bit about that. Financially, um, 
in 2015 when I came to the community, um, I was in Lake, Lake Park. Tell Lake our Park. audience where Lake Park is. Lake Park is uh, sandwiched between on US one heading north in North and uh, in, in Palm Beach North, uh, the Palm Beach County North, uh, south of uh, it's south of um, Riviera Beach and north of North Palm Beach. I'm I'm sorry, south of North Palm Beach and north of Riviera Beach. Okay. So we're sandwiched. We're 2.4 square miles. Um, the um, average value of a home was $250,000. Now? No, back then. In, two, in 2015. That was the highest real estate value of any property that was sold in 2015, sold for $250,000. That's remarkable. And it was, it's a very, it's a minority majority community. And when I came on board, their concern was we need economic development. And that was my bailiwick. I uh, um, was able to generate over the years a significant amount of investment, private investment. We have P3 agreements going on with to expand our marina of $140 million investment. We have um, a $347 million luxury condominium uh, property being built. Uh, and I'll give you a little flavor. Well, wait, wait, pause there for a second. How are you dealing with the, oh, you're gentrifying our community mm. fight? Uh, how, how, do you, how do you respond to that when people come back? And, you know, you're, we want economic development, but we don't want economic development, right? Mm. A lot of times you hear right. the communities, uh, we don't want urban sprawl. Well, let's, then let's rebuild some of these inner city neighborhoods. No, no, you're destroying the character of the neighborhoods. You're like... What do you want? Oh, we want change, but we don't want any change, you know? So yeah. how do you deal with that? And we heard that. We heard that because we were getting a lot of that, you know? I mean, we, we, um, we don't want to be anything else other than what we currently are. And it took the realization in several outreach meetings, public meetings, where we're telling the residents of the town, look at this town budget like your household budget. You have a certain amount of money. So we were, revenue was coming in to the tune of, um, for ad valorem taxes of about $2.9 million. Our one service that we're providing, which is police services, because we contract with Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office, was $3.2 million. So all of our money, all of our tax revenue is being spent on one service on one service, and that was uh, uh, Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office. Because, wow. And, and so... So when, you can't do anything. When people realize that, they understand that they, we need to do something. And that was the turning point that got... <laughs> so, so, you, so I love this because the, the some things could be, hey, we'll double your taxes... So we could do more stuff. And they're like, no, 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 don't do that. Right. Okay, we'll bring in some economic development. We'll bring in some of these higher-end homes. We'll bring in folks who they will have taxes, and now we'll have the ability to do stuff. So because we're 2.4 square miles, the only density that we could do, the only thing that we could do was build up. Just go up. And that's what we did. So we, we had our first project where we broke the news to everybody that we had uh, $20,000 in reserves and that if we did not build a reserve... Wait, don't, it, don't, don't skip past that. Okay. A city of how many people? 9,000. Had how much in reserves? $20,000. I mean, that's less than the average citizen should have in their savings account. <laughs> and, that's, and that's what we, 
that's how we sold it. We basically said, many of you have more than $20,000 in your savings account or in investments that we don't have. And, and all we need is a hurricane. And we, and we should have, you know, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days of reserves. As I recall, 215 was the big year of all those hurricanes came through, right? That's correct. Yeah. And thank goodness none of them hit Lake Park at that particular point in time. Um, and, and so we weren't able to respond to emergencies. And so when we told the story, we were upfront, we were honest, and we told them, this is the situation that we're in. And we showed them. We gave them the budget. We told them, showed them where the money came from. We broke it all down in our budget. We break our budget down by salaries of each position in each department in the town of Lake Park. And, and the, so more money spent on uh, the contract with Rick Bradshaw's office. I get, was it Rick at the time? Yeah, it's still. Uh, and, um, but you had other sources of revenue other than Ad Valorum. That's correct. But that was based on the economic condition of the time. Sure. So sales tax, you, you have an economic downturn, your sales tax can be lower. But what happened in 2009, in 2008, when the, when the, um, when there was a housing crisis, we were laying people off. We were, the people that were working in town of Lake Park were working three-day weeks and getting paid for three days. Wow. Because we couldn't balance the budget. And our, because we're a low-value community, we're, our, our rate, our, our tax rate is 8.805. And it, your max is 10. So we had no room to move that yeah. up. Yeah. Um, and so what we then said was, look, we have five properties here that constitute what is called Nautilus 220. What is it called? Nautilus 220. Okay. It's our, it's our first luxury condo development oh, okay, okay, on the okay. water. Those properties were paying $56,000 a year in taxes right on the water. Low value no density, one story. This new development, when it's completed in 24, will pay an additional $1.7 million in additional tax revenue. 56000 total. Total for those five properties. Okay. Those same properties are with this new development several million dollars are going uh, to end up paying $1.7 million in tax revenue. And, and we haven't increased... Uh, taxes at all. As a matter of fact, this year we lowered. So the, the narrative here, uh, and I love this, is by grabbing the community together, you, you sound like you're, you're uh, an optimist in that you can bring people together, but by bringing them together, getting them shoulder to shoulder, you can move a city forward through consensus. And that's something you learned in Massachusetts. You're applying it down exactly. in Palm Beach County now. Exactly. And so you didn't have the wars. Because we worked on a project in North Miami Beach where somebody wanted to build some towers. And it was, you know, on-the-ground war. And I suspect maybe the council didn't do what you've recommended doing, which is get everybody together and say, guys, look at the numbers. <laughs> Fully transparent. How are we going to do things? Five outreach meetings on this one particular project over, what kind of over three years. We had, um, at the beginning, we had very sparse attendance. 
And people believed at that time that Lake Park wouldn't, wasn't ever going to build anything like this. It was never going to happen. They probably also didn't believe, because it was new, that you would listen and care. That's right. And we did. Not only did we listen and care, but we worked with developers because they need to turn a profit. We understand that. So we're not looking at ways in which we destroy projects, but we're looking at ways in which we can implement projects, which is a big difference in some communities where developers come in and... They want to be a contributor to the community. So this particular developer, Peter Batarian, for example, um, is somebody that he takes a sale of a particular unit and he takes a percentage of that sale and he dedicates it to the school system to, to do certain things. He dedicates, he gives that money to nonprofit organizations in the town of Lake Park. Oh, nice. He... Um, makes a difference and and that's what he he wants to do so he he is now doing three other projects in the town of lake park we're going to have in the downtown area alone an additional 1600 residents living in the downtown area because that's an economic driver when you have people living in the downtown area right now we don't and that downtown area is our cra and so what we're doing is we're looking at ways in which we can build that kind of wealth economically, locally, by having people live in the town, in the downtown area, so that they it's could... Such a, it's such a cool model. You know, you rebuild the infrastructure, you get bodies back in there, and mm-hmm. next thing you know, the cool restaurants will start opening up, the, the craft brews, the places to go. Because we fled our inner cities in the right. 70s and the 80s, right. and now people want to go back, but they got to have something to go back to. And... They're going to go back because we've, we're the only community in Palm Beach County that allows breweries by, um, not, not by right, but by special permit. So communi- uh, breweries were looked at and built in industrial uh, park areas. Yeah, back back in the day when you right. had massive, right. when you were making Yingling and, yeah, and, right. and all those. Schmitz and all that. Right, yeah. yeah. We put them right in the town, right yeah, in the Yeah, because they're microbreweries the now, and they're right. cool. And what they do is they work with restaurants, and they create menus that the restaurant will create a menu that the brewery will replicate as as a complement to the menus that are being offered and at the restaurant. And it creates that synergy. That um, you know, it's funny because you and I are both fans of New York City, and obviously you grew up there, but. One of the things that makes New York, uh, you know, compared to like Chicago in the 90s, when you go to downtown Chicago in the 90s, I know they worked to change that. Uh, at 5.30, the place emptied out. And it was kind of scary. I mean, it was st- stunning. And what makes New York City so cool is people live right there. You know, whether mm-hmm. you're on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, the Lower West Side, now you look at the transformation of Hell's Kitchen and all those areas, people are living there and moving there. So they need places to shop, places to eat, places to do things, places to pick up their groceries, whatever. And that creates a vibrancy. And I guess is you as a CRA manager now have to go ahead and help find those things to create that vibrancy. Because it's one thing to build a home you know, build a high rise for residences downtown. But if they've got nothing to go to, it ain't going to work. 
Right. You know, so it sounds like right. you're doing all that. And, and we're not only are we doing that, but we're also connecting parts of our little 2.4 square mile community through a mobility plan so that we can take people from the high-rise um, luxury apartments uh, on their cell phone. They can call and get a ride, and it's all free. It's all because it's being paid for by the developers who have, are developing those wow. those um, those. Um, so it's kind of like free buildings. Uber? It's free, and we're going to try to do it for the entire region, the north region of Palm Beach okay. County. That's an unusual service. Why, why did you decide to do that service? We had, I received a number of calls from people from the north who I know who have relatives living in the south, of, in Florida, in, in Palm Beach County. And they'll go, I, I have to take the license away from my mother. Yeah, I and, had to do the same with mine. And she's devastated and there's no alternative. So we said, we said that the alternative is to get her out of that house. And the only way you can get her out of that house is if she feels safe traveling. Right. And so we control the transportation component. So that, so, and it's all electric, they're all electric. It's, 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 um, it's an ability for us to move them to a doctor's appointment, to a you shopping mean center. They're electric vehicles. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and and some of them we're we're looking at ways in which we can have these uh, vehicles that are self-driven. In other words, there's no driver. I can't wait. Uh-huh. I am like I'm totally. When when they said they were going, I don't like you know, regular commercial pizza, but mm-hmm. and they said they were going to do drone delivery of pizza. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm ordering it. And mm-hmm. then self-driving cars, I'll be the first one. Well, I, can, I can text and drive and do my work and da-da-da-da while somebody else is driving around. That would be so cool. As a matter of fact, the, the high-rise that we're building, we uh, we wanted we want them to build drone platforms so that their, oh, wow. their um, Amazon packages can be delivered by drone to their particular balcony. Wow, that's fantastic. It's, it's that's, all happening. That's really it, cool. It, yeah, no, we're living in interesting times in this regard that, you know, well, there's some things that are really bad, climate change, global, you know, global warming, uh, 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 resistance to vaccines, which is causing an increase in death rates and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. But on the other hand, we got some really fascinating, fantastic things going on with, you know, the apps. And like I called it free Uber, uh, but that sounds like what it is. You use the mm-hmm. city, creates an app. You can get a drive, boom, boom, boom. But it's all forms of transportation, yeah. not just, it's One also reducing the number of cars on our roadway by providing alternative means of transportation. Yeah. And the younger kids are doing that right I now. I want to get somebody on this show who talks to talk about that because uh, everything I've read about autonomous vehicles, it, it's transformative in ways we don't think. Like you won't need traffic. If we were all, it's, we're, you and I probably won't live to see mm-hmm. all autonomous vehicles, but and that day comes, you won't need traffic lights because they travel together, they talk to each other. You won't ever need to build another road. You won't ever need to build another parking lot mm-hmm. because why would you need parking lots? Well, well, my grandchildren are going, look at the waste of asphalt, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, probably yeah. not my kids. They're now in their 20s, so they, 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 they've grown up with it, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to be transformative. This generation... That we're that are coming up now that are going to be um, in our municipalities. Many of them don't have driver's license. Yeah, that's happening in big. It's a big trend in Europe too, and big cities. And what they're doing is they're taking streets 
and turning them into recreational stroll-by type uh, uh, miniature parks. I know we talk about New York City, but yeah. I was just up there, and y'all going to think I'm crazy when I say this. We bicycle all over Manhattan. And there are green lanes, which are separated lanes. Mm -hmm. There are bike paths. Mm -hmm. And you don't see them when you're in your car. But when you're on the bike and you know where they are, you find yourself, we, we st regularly stay down in the southeast over by Gramercy, mm -hmm. head west, and uh, that whole western part of the island, and they're shutting down roads on Manhattan. In fact, they're going to implement a $15 fee to come on the island with a non-commercial vehicle. Exactly. Uh, and and, and transforming it. And so when we look at implementing this mobility plan, we're building bike lanes throughout the entire town. We want to connect those bike lanes to other municipalities in, in northern Palm That's Beach fantastic. County. fantastic. And we're going, to, we're going to be able to provide the types of transportation needs. So what happens if you get off at a bus stop? You have to walk a half the, a mile, the final mile, three quarters problem, yeah. of a mile. That final mile is taken care of in mobility planned communities because they can get on, they can jump on a little electric um, um, mini scooter and go to and drop it off and it's all GPS. So in other words, the provider knows exactly where that vehicle, where that mm -hmm. um, transfer, mini transportation component is located. And at the end of the day, under the ordinance, they have to pick it up and bring it back they and charge it up. There are several thousand in Manhattan. So you yeah. could pick up a bike in the southeast part of Manhattan. And go, go anywhere. Go Central Park, go over, get lunch at 2nd Avenue Deli and drop your bike off a half a block away. Mm -hmm. Check it out. It costs you four bucks uh, to do that. You got there faster than a taxi. Mm -hmm. You get a little exercise. It's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. uh, really, really kind of neat. And so it's kind of cool that as a lower income community like yours, is looking forward in this regard so you'll be the ones welcoming the next, the next 30 years. Yeah. Very, very cool. And, and what we have are, we have a lot of young families that are now moving in because our property values are still reasonably low. Yeah. So these young families are coming in. How far of a commute is it to West Palm? Um, by car? Yeah. Probably 15 minutes at okay, the most. Yeah. So, I mean. U US one. Just yeah. down there, you, most of you're going to hit more lights than you are going to hit traffic. Yeah. So, but um, in this particular case, when I came in 15, we were considered one of the most dangerous communities in Florida to live. And over my five years, well, since 2015, 17, I started implementing newer technology. We have integrated technology systems where everything is talking to everything else. We have surveillance cameras throughout the entire town. We have ShotSpotter, and we have license plate readers. ShotSpotter, what's that? A gunshot is shot within 30 seconds. Police are at that location. They know exactly where that shot was fired. How? Through this is technology I've never heard about. Yeah. So you have sound sensors located so they could find throughout, it. Throughout the town. How have I never heard of this? This is so cool. So, and it's great because over the last seven years that I have been here, our crime rate has dropped 78% continuously. That's going to be on your tombstone. You know that, right? <laughs> well, yeah. Maybe. I mean, that's, a, that's, that's an incredible accomplishment. I mean, and it shows, it, it shows that when you address a problem, you seek consensus, and you work towards solutions, you can actually solve a problem. I mean, if you'd have said 38%, I would have been impressed. 
But if you say it dropped 78%, that's incredible. That's incredible. You know what it reminds me of? When I was in Spain, we picked up uh, the Spanish equivalent of an Uber, Mm -hmm. and we're driving down the road, and I noticed the speed limit was 88 kilometers per hour. For those of you who know the metric system better, I, I think that was the speed. I think it was 88 kilometers per hour. And I noticed everybody was driving, ready for this? 88 kilometers per hour. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to get in my car and drive home, and I'm going to get on I-75, and the speed limit is 70. And you're, you're going either going 80. 20 <laughs> or 80, right? right? Or right. 85. And I was like, why? And it was because a guy, I asked the driver, I said, why is everybody um, uh, driving exactly the speed limit? He says, because if you go two miles an hour over the speed limit, the cameras will get you. Now, we would never allow traffic cameras like that in America, but your shot spotters, your cameras, your downtown surveillance, your immediate response from the police, et cetera, et cetera, is work to reduce crime. And what the, the end result has been for us is that these young families feel safe. Sure. They're walking up and down our sidewalks. We have sidewalks all over the place in baby carriages with kids in tow, and they're calling Lake Park home. And then nobody came out in opposition to these shot spotters? No. As a matter of fact. And the cameras, same thing? Same thing with the cameras, because they knew there was a problem, and people were not coming out. Uh, At 6 o'clock, everything folded. Especially at night. We took a kid in and, and we dropped him off to his mom and we were talking about that. She said he sleeps under the bed. This was 10 years ago and it mm-hmm. broke my heart to think, mm-hmm. wow, your community is so dangerous. I've got nervous when I drove him home uh, or on a weekend to visit with his mom. And I thought to myself, I'm nervous just driving here. I'm leaving this 12-year-old kid here. How sad is that, right? But what you guys have done is you made it a place where people can live and call home. We made a determination in our community, that we were not going to live in fear and that we're going to do something about it. And the something that we did about it is we invested a half a million dollars. We just put another half a million dollars in upgrading all of our technology as far as police is concerned so that they have the tools. Do you now have a police force? We have PBSO. Okay, so you sub with them and are they... I remember it was it oh one of the cities down there I was actually in Broward and I know don't it's like don't don't mix Brooklyn and Queens to people who live in Brooklyn and Queens oh, don't mix don't Palm know. Beach and Broward but one of the cities they actually contract with them and said you've got a you got to badge uh, your cars for our city do you do that or is they just all sheriffs in other words They're they say town of Archer or or town of uh, Lake Park on the side they have Lake Park on the side okay. but it's it's also um, Palm Beach so it County acts Sheriff's. Like, yeah. It acts like your local it's municipality. A di- it's called District 10. It's called Lake Park. But we changed. I think Bradshaw's done a good job with oh, that. Oh, he's phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. He was wrong about the racetrack closing, but yeah. other than that. <laughs> I would agree with that. My grandfather would agree with it. He loved to bet on the horse, on the on the. You no, know, about the, the car track yeah. that the guys were losing money they wanted to sell. And Rick yeah. Bradshaw came out and goes, these racers are going to be dropping down I, to I, A1A. And I'm like, yeah. wait, no, no. The guys in the Lamborghinis going 175 miles, they're not the guys street racing at right. 2 o'clock in the morning. No, but right. he's but a great anyway, sheriff. Well, he is a great, he is a great sheriff. What I was going to say was that um, we are now changing to a new technology that will allow us to track vehicles on the interstate um, 91 
because the company that we're, we're contracted with have cameras on 91. That's the, the interstate, turnpike. The turnpike. The turnpike. Right. Eventually, they're going to get the contract for 95. So figure this out. Just, just So I commit this. a crime in, in your community. I get on the interstate, and they can track me. Track you, stop you, and arrest you. Well, they have to call a cop to do that, right? So, so. Well, no, no, because what it's it's called real crime time. It's a real real time crime. In Lake Park, we um, we are part of the sheriff's, and the sheriff has this this database of real real time crime, and they have this wow. little area where they're watching Lake Park. They're watching um, Palm Beach. North. They're watching Palm all Beach of these Gardens, different yeah, communities Worth, yeah. that they're Lake on. Worth that, Beach, sorry guys. Right. And and they could get somebody, they can dispatch directly to a sheriff in a car. What we did is we took it a step further and we now have those laptops that are in the uh, sheriff's cars. They're also, they also have all of the crime, uh, all of the camera systems in the entire town. So they can sit anywhere in Lake Park and monitor the entire town at once. Wow, that's fantastic. That is fantastic. You know, we were going to talk about human resources and <laughs> team building, yeah. but we, instead we talked about technology, John, and yeah. I'm fascinated by this, and I hope our listeners are too, because these are technologies, if you're dealing with crime, I'm not sure people know these things exist. I mean, the shot spotter to me was such an eye-opening, oh yeah, if it can pinpoint it. Now, Nobody can be opposed to that, right? Even the NRA can't come out and say, oh, listen, you fired a gun illegally. And and I would think even the most ardent pro-gun person would say, if they're firing, they should be arrested. We should have methods methods of of getting them. Right. It has nothing to do with whether you own a gun or not. Well, uh, I want to close up with two things. Tell us us the roof story. Tell your colleagues the roof story about being in Syracuse. (laughs) It's a great story. And well, it's so cliche. How, I, got, how yeah. I came down here to... Yeah, John DiAgostino, uh, how he decided to move to Florida. Well, I decided to move to Florida because in 2015 in Massachusetts, we had five back-to-back Northeasters dumping 120 to 130 inches of snow. I'm watching TV with my wife, and um, we get this broadcast, this emergency broadcast, that we had to shovel the snow off our roofs because they were expecting nine inches of rain. Pause for a second. For those who did not grow up in the north, I know there's got to be one or two of you listening (laughs) to that. When there's 10 feet of snow, what people don't realize, that's not 10 feet of snow. That's dozens of feet of snow because you clear a road, you got to put that snow somewhere. And when you're in a place like Massachusetts, it doesn't melt pretty quickly. So snow drifts can get 30, 40, 50 feet high. Mm, absolutely. It's crazy. So go on. It's absolutely. So Kathy and I are up on the roof with shovels. What kind of husband it makes his wife get? <laughs> You're up on the roof. Yeah, we're up on the roof and we're shoveling snow off the roof in order for us not to have the roof collapse. Because the rain would have because been so of the much rain extra. would have oh been a God. significant heavy load. And and they're warning people to do that. And I'm looking, my neighbors are up on the roof and they're shoveling snow off their roofs. And I said to my I turned to her and I said to her, There's got to be a better way. And that same year, we bought a snowblower. And um, so because of the snow, we're, I'm saying, I'm done shoveling. And so we went out and bought a snowblower. Three, two months later, 
I get the, you know, I get the call, I get the job, and, and I start in May uh, of that year in Lake Park. And uh, so I turn around to everybody that was in the audience after my interview, and I said, uh, and after they gave me the position, said, we'd like to hire you. Uh, I turned around and said, uh, anyone need a snowblower down here? <laughs> no takers. No takers. <laughs> no takers. Yeah. That's, that's uh, both uh, fascinating and very cliche. Right? Yeah. How many people fell on ice or were freezing to death and said, I'm going to Florida. Right. I want to go there. Yeah. Uh, last question. Tell us something cool about your town that we may not know. It was um, laid out by uh, the Fr Frederick Law Olmsted sons of okay. the sons of Frederick Law Olmsted who laid out the great parks uh, across the country including Central Park in, yeah. in New York um, and the founder was a guy by the name of Harry Kelsey came from Agawam Massachusetts I came from Springfield so we, we tie this over. is like a perfect novel we, we started with Brooklyn we end up in Manhattan and Massachusetts we tie it all up nice and neatly so and it was designed by the same guy who designed Central Park New York all right and also uh, Pinehurst, uh, the village of Pinehurst in uh -huh. Pinehurst, North Carolina. Uh, if I could leave with one thing yes, uh, with as a public servant, and I used to, every day I would get up and go to uh, the Maxwell School. And Maxwell, and there was a, um, a, cliche, a saying at the Maxwell School that as a public servant, we inherit the community that we are serving in. We inherit that. And it is our responsibility as public servants to leave it better off than when we inherited it. I love that. Yeah. I love that. What a great close. John yeah. Diagostino, thank you. Uh, town of Lake Park, the town manager, John Diagostino from the mothership of <laughs> Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Uh, folks, thanks for listening. This is Steve Van Core, and this has been the FCCMA Podcast, a service produced by and for the Florida City and County Management Association. If you have a future guest you'd like to recommend, uh, drop me a line at svancore at vancorejones.com. That's svancore at vancorejones.com. Thank you so much for being with us.